What's up, pals? This is Chris Sampson. And before we start the episode, I want to give a quick disclaimer. Unfortunately, Ryan's equipment completely imploded on her. We didn't find out until after we recorded the episode. We set up everything right. Everything seemed to be going okay. But the original audio and the backup audio didn't work. So it goes to show that you can plan for everything, but stuff can still go wrong. There's not much we can do about it. Audio is completely unsalvageable and unfixable. We really apologize about this. This was unexpected and we're really sad about it because Ryan and our super special guest host, Philip, uh, had some great interactions and back and forth. So this episode has been edited down for clarity. So again, Ryan was part of the episode. At the moment, Ryan is currently troubleshooting her microphone to see what's going on. And hopefully by the next time we record and publish the episode, everything will be fine and hunky-dory. Nevertheless, we still have a great episode, so enjoy! What's up, pals? Welcome to Super Nerd Pals. Uh, this is episode 104, and this is a very, very special episode because we have an awesome guest for our show, Philip Jones. What up, Philip? Woo! Woo! That's my name. I'm yeah. <laughs> Philip's from Midboss. Philip from Midboss. I'm, I'm the Midboss pal today. Indeed. Indeed. Midboss nerd. Now, would you say you are the mid-boss of mid-boss? <laughs> oh, so meta. See, I like I, it, Andy. See, I don't know. I think, I guess, like, the, the guy who started the company would be the final boss of mid-boss, right? Yeah, that makes he, sense. I don't, see, I don't know if he wants to be known as the mid-boss of mid-boss, so I don't, I don't want to take the title, you know, before. I don't know. Who, who gets the, you know, the hierarchy of bosses, I think, is a, is a touchy subject for me to just sort of lay out here. <laughs> See, Phil, I, I want—I mean, are you a mini boss? But I don't think—I don't think mini boss is worthy of you. I think you're—you're much—you're worth much higher than well, uh, is, than a mini boss on the hierarchy. How many mid bosses can there be? Can there just be only one mid boss? Is that like? I the mean, role? Mega Man has eight mid bosses a game, so. <laughs> The, yeah, no, just, no, no. Okay, Mega Man's e- got like distant bosses. Yeah, they're like stage bosses. The mid boss is like the the dragon in in Wily's Castle. Yeah, that's that's every the, stage has like a mid boss. No, every stage has a regular boss, man. Let me no, know. they have a mid boss and then a regular boss. Fine. What if- <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the topic of the show. The- the the uh, what's it called the genealogy of video game bosses. <laughs> I will tell you that the the name from the company is actually a Disgaea reference, though. For anyone that's wondering where Midboss comes from, that is from Disgaea. From mm. deep cuts, I like yeah. it. I like it. I don't remember which one because I'm, I'm not actually a, a fan of the series, but the guy who made the company, Matt, is a fan and has a pretty hoodie, and it's pretty cute. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. I'm Stankerski. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Sampson. I'm Andy Carasquillo. And welcome to the show. So, uh, I'm your host for today. And I've been away for three weeks. It's It's been surreal. I, 
So for those who don't know, or for those who maybe this is your first time listening, I work for a tabletop gaming company called Crit Success. And we were on this crazy convention marathon. Like normally conventions don't, uh, well, usually I have like maybe one or two at the most, but, and it, also convention seasons don't really, in, in like the late winters, early springtime aren't as crazy as this, but uh, I had three back-to-back conventions. So I went, I went to um, Seattle, Washington for Emerald City Comic Con. Then we drew, oh, well, first I flew out there, but my boss drove three days to Washington. And then my boss and I drove three days back from Washington to Boston for PAX East. And then we flew on a plane to Vegas for the Gamma Trade Show. And I'm very exhausted, but I'm very happy. It was such an incredible trip. Um, And I love that con life. So it's all good. It's all good. I'm upset because I went to PAX East last year, but this year I was not able to make the trip but i've been doing events myself i just went to to gdc and then before that we actually had pack south down in oh. san antonio down here so i actually drove from my house matt actually flew here stayed the night here with me which he's never done before and then i drove us both down to pack south so i'm i'm upset that we weren't at the same packs at the end i i yeah i was really sad because um pack south i it was our first time exhibiting this past january but i got Oh, I was in the Philippines, and I got really sick. Uh, I caught dengue fever. Everyone thought I died, or oh, because like because like the internet, the Wi-Fi access in the Philippines is really bad, so no one heard from me for a week. Uh, so I and, and I was so ready to come back. Like my boss, he was giving me some flack about it. It's like Chris, I know you love working. I know you love cons, but literally the day you came back, you were like, "Hey, where? When can I meet you? When can I hop on a flight?" To, from the U.S. to to Texas, so he put me on mandatory sick leave, which was great. I really needed that, and I was also jet lagged. But I was so pumped to go to Pack South, but maybe next year. You know, you're a workaholic when your boss tells you to stay home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was a good time. Um, I met a lot of really cool people, especially Pax East. Pax East was my first time there. I mean, Pax West last year was my first Pax ever, so I, I met a lot of cool. Indie devs, uh, met interesting people, made new friends. Uh, I could do without all the crazy cold weather because I'm cold blooded and I will I will literally die of hyperthermia. Um, other than that, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the next PAX, uh, which would be PAX West in September. Uh, usually it's like Labor Day weekend. They're a little bit weird about setting up convention dates. They don't really tell you until like April, which is really bad when you're trying to when you're planning logistics to exhibit and i like to keep on top of things or plan things way in advance but i digress um i want to go to a convention <laughs> <laughs> well i i feel I, I know this wasn't on our news flash <laughs> but like can we can we set aside some rage time and, and like new york comic-con is just Screwing oh, yeah. up the ticketing system. I was again. I was waiting for for this topic to arise. Say, Stan, maybe maybe it's time to introduce Philip to the news bus. Are we are we getting are we going for a ride on on the yeah, news we're bus? Going on, we're going on a ride on the news bus. Is this like the magic school bus? Uh, it's whatever that? you want it to be. Yes, it can transform. It's supposed to be the thing is is it's supposed to be the news flash, right? That that's how we conceived it. Then what happened was was we started doing the shows in the morning. And then we got up so early that I decided, like, it's not really a flash because we're so slow. It's more like getting on the bus, going to work. 
So it's the news bus. <laughs> Get on that daily commute. Getting those news gears grinded. Yeah. So it's like, it used to be like, now it's and like. We add in like some Street Fighter sound effects. Yeah, by like slow and steady mark. incline. Tiger. Tiger. And then it was like, perfect. You win. But, but don't ask where that came from. But now it's more like. <laughs> And the news bus comes whenever the fuck it wants, you know? Sometimes you're standing there in the morning, and you're like, we've been talking for about ten minutes, and the bus is still not here. But the bus is here, and we're on it. <laughs> the bus is here. Yeah, if the bus is ever for you, it's never on time. Exactly. And then, like, it's it's like when you're in Queens. I, I feel like I don't think you've ever been in Queens, but those buses, they ain't, they ain't ever come. Terrible. I'm still waiting for a bus. <laughs> All right. But, but com- yeah, let's go back. Let's go back to New York Comic Con. So I, Stan, Stan, and uh, I think Andy, you also shared a post on our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash group slash super nerd pals. Hey, I did it. Yeah. yeah. Did it. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't uh, ready for it. So, thanks. okay. It's okay. But, uh, this was, uh, uh, one of our hot mess, uh, topics from multiple game of the year things. It just, it just the, the problem with New York Comic Con of, its ticketing system is bad and inefficient, and I I know that New, Com- New York Comic Con is like like the East Coast version of San Diego, is, or is trying to be, and it's getting popular more and more each year. And there's more attendance, there's more people are interested in it, and handling a logistical umbrella of of, of that of that proportions, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. But I feel like it's not keeping up the pace. Because uh, Stan, you want to mention what what they did this year what didn't they do this year um comic con all right a little backstory philip chris lives in dc uh ryan andy and i all live in new york so the the one time that we usually get to crisscross applesauce is in new york comic con it's our it's our (laughs) unofficial super nerd pal summit and um you know being being an indie crew uh we we haven't been able to get press passes yet so we we're relying on the the consumer facing end of getting in there and every year it's it's worse there's last year was fan verification um this year they removed the ability to buy to well to, all right hold on let's back up to the one benefit of last year so if you were if you did fan verification last year this year fan verification verification allows you to buy your tickets early and yeah, this but, is where the bullshit comes in but 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 andy you're forgetting that everyone who's going this year went last year so everyone everyone's already fan verified so it's like every, all those hundreds of thousands of people are fan verified okay? i guess that's true but so you, there's no longer three and four day passes you have to buy single day passes so it's going to be more difficult to get and they're going to be more expensive to get multiple days in there, so. and scalping is still going to be a thing. Scalping is is a thing. It hasn't stopped. It's it's all over the place. You go. You try verification to, didn't stop shit. It didn't do anything. You try to go to the Javits Center, and there's like 15 people just standing in the street going, "You want you want a pass? You you try and get in today?" And <laughs> they're just saying to everybody walking by, "Is you trying you trying to get into Comic Con?" And it's just like this is just making it harder for the legitimate people who want tickets. So. We we have a special kind of um, anger, saltiness. About, yeah, Salt. we're, we're there are many flavors, but we choose to stay salty about Comic Con. <laughs> well said. 
But Philip, have you had any trouble with this? I mean, I guess like you're, you're like an exhibitor or a game developer, so you just get the fast track. Like that's the same case for me. Yeah, they get all the the comp badges and and the free lines. But you know, at the same time, I I go to so many conventions now that it's it's literally it's like too much, and I don't enjoy like almost anything about like most of the mainstream shows these days. So. Uh, I mean, you can definitely get overexposed to it. Like, every pack sort of just, like, bleeds together just because they're so, like, uniform, each one. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm at PAX. I don't remember which city I'm in. This is just another PAX, and it has the same PAX people that I saw at last PAX. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. so that's that's sort of where I am with events. Like, I went to Japan and Australia last year on top of everything else in the United States. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping for a actually a, a lighter travel year this year after after PAX and GDC already uh, in just the first couple months I'm I'm I, I don't have much of a, a much of a busy calendar so far mm. uh for me like I guess I'm still in the honeymoon period because I I just I just live for going to cons but like I do agree like especially this past marathon it was like i love these cons but i'm so exhausted and i, and I miss home and i miss podcasting with, with my with uh with my buddies and so yeah, it's, I think you know it's I, hard to find that balance what i like most about cons though is seeing is seeing my friends and seeing the other developers that i've i've met doing doing all this you know i think that um especially at like one like gdc i think that like uh you know there's a lot of like uh face value and like just being seen when you're at cons even if you're not necessarily like being productive all the time because i think once you stop going to a lot of the shows then you sort of like fall out of the circuit and you know you you never know when like an opportunity is going to show its head so you try to be social you know <laughs> is mm. is draining uh and i'm not really particularly good at it and most people know that but usually by the end of a long boothing day because usually it's like my boss is like running off doing meetings or other people or you know i'm i'm the one left to like tend the booth so by the, by the end of the boothing hours i'm left drained and everyone else is like let's go out drinking and i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it takes a lot of energy. But props to you for like, especially with like uh, convention slates, like going to Japan, and Australia. I am very heli jelly right now because I like I would love, <laughs> I, I would love to for us to be able to go international. We're mostly domestic. Uh, we did go to Germany uh, this past October, but uh, I would love to bring our company or just go to Pax Australia or like something crazy like tokyo game show that'd be great so. yeah matt's ridiculous he goes to like sweden and austria just for fun just because he flies he has to fly so many of his employees around so he gets all these all these airline miles so he's just banking on miles all the time so he goes on all these ridiculous trips um but yeah japan and australia because we held a game rex in australia and then yeah tokyo game show um and they actually went to bit summit a couple months before that so they went to japan twice last year i just went once but yeah, our 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 events life last year was was pretty pretty hectic, and now that the game's out, we're sort of transitioning back into like the early stages of dev. So maybe not so many of the big booths. Um, trying to work on a a GamerX East two that we showed off at at PAX East, and that's sort of why we were there. But yeah, that's excellent. I know we're we're still in the middle of. Um news or the news bus but don't, I feel like don't worry nice... the bus is so goddamn slow oh, okay. that we're just okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, 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 t- we're, 
we're talking, we're talking about cons. I, I love uh, talking it, about cons just because they're so so much a part of our lives. Excellent. Well, actually, I think it's a good way to segue because, like, I don't think a lot of uh, I don't think some people our listeners don't know what gamer gamer X is. Could you explain more about your initiative or your projects? Yeah, sure. Gamer X was started by Matt Con, who's started everything that I work on, um, <laughs> and it was his idea for. Um, after going to a lot of game events and just living in California um, and being surrounded by, you know, the tech mecca and also just sort of like this very, you know, gay-friendly city that had a lot of, you know, gay activity going on, he saw, you know, both of those crowds thriving so well in, in SF, that city that he was living in. And it was They were both, you know, huge parts of his identity. And I think that the idea for... Um, it started with him actually just posting on a Facebook group created for, for San Francisco gay gamers, um, and just to have little meetups between, between people. And, you know, the first one had 10 people and the next one had 20 and then it was 50 people and then it was a hundred people and then it was, you know, unmanageable. Um, so they had the Kickstarter, uh, to, to, to run the first actual convention, sort of like a PAX style, but way smaller, um, and just focused on creating a space where, Everyone can be presumed to be comfortable and uh, welcoming and, you know, friendly to gay people and, you know, be excited about the idea of being in a gay-friendly space and also being able to play a lot of video games and hang out with gamers and talk about games and see all your favorite companies and and things like that. Um, So that excited a lot of people. um, And so the Kickstarter raised like six times its goal. And suddenly, you know, he had this huge project on his hands. Um, and it was getting a lot of press attention, and I was not with the company um, by this point. I joined about actually a week after the first con went on, so I've been working on GamerX 2 onward. Um, but yeah, it is a West Coast event that we've held for the past four years for a couple thousand people each. Um, just, you know, a safe, friendly space that not only hosts, you know, uh, a huge expo hall that I run for exhibitors and we have an arcade for people to sit down and play games, but we also have a panel track and we have concerts with musicians that come in and, you know, special guests and developers from lots of big companies and, you know, um, you know, even like a WWE wrestler was like a special guest one year. So we have like, you know, pretty interesting, like weird celebrities come in. And um, so it's been like a very fun show. And then, yeah, we held one in uh, NYC in November and then held one in Sydney last April. So Sydney 2 is about to happen in May. And then we're working on NYC 2, uh, no West, Con Co- uh, West Coast Con for this year, but hopefully next year. Awesome, and uh, and the, our our show, our operation for Super Nerd Pals is um, primarily New York based. I'm I'm like the odd man now. I'm in you know Washington D.C. Everyone else in New York. So what can we expect from from New York too? Like what uh, like it's it's gonna obviously be bigger. Uh, maybe uh, uh, any special guests, or is it all classified information at the moment? Yeah, it's actually we haven't even announced anything yet. So I'm sort of just like letting you know that um, you know. Where that's gonna be the next con, uh, so we're still in like super early planning stages. But last year was really cool um, because we usually hold you know hold the cons in like convention centers and hotels and that kind of thing. Um, but the reason that we were able to do it in Times Square uh, is because the space that we used was actually donated to us by Microsoft, and we used the Microsoft Technology Center uh, in Times Square as as the con space. So it was two floors of of mostly open like workspaces and office 
boardrooms uh but we made it work and set up a lot of a lot of consoles and had a couple of like you know boardrooms spread open so we could still have some panels and i still ran a little expo that had about you know 25 indie tables people showing off their games or selling you know their crafts their artwork whatever um so basically just like a scaled down version of gamer x i'm not sure what exactly the the location system is going to look like it might sort of be that same uh but we're definitely going to go for bigger and more interesting uh special guests and people to sort of draw the eye because this will be our one u.s event of the year so all of our like you know we held we know uh, we ran three events last year so all of our power is going into this one this year so uh, definitely going to be improved from last year. Hopefully, get it a little bigger. But we also uh, were supposed to have capped the tickets at 500 at GamerX East last year, and that didn't really happen because we sort of had to sell more. Um, so we're we're you know it's definitely it was hot you know so we're we're going to try to expand it. Nice, awesome. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, Team SMP, <laughs> uh, we should uh, have a road trip or a field trip. Hey, hit um, me up about a table. Be- yeah, that'd yeah, be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yes. Uh, I really like... Cool. Let's <laughs> Very awesome. Oh, I love, all, I love all this contact. I'm getting all yeah, we've, misty-eyed about we've it. We've had a lot of... We... Chris, Chris is starting to think he's back at work. <laughs> he is. Uh, oh, come, come on, S&Ps, are, it's our second job. We all moonlight. This is all, this is all good. Hey, uh, Philip, what... I don't know if you can get too specific, but what it, what's the nuts and bolts like of running an expo hall? Like what like yeah. what logistically like is that like? Cause yeah, that nobody's seems like ever asked me that. I always wanted to talk about this. Cause Do it's it. Sort of, it's sort of like <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like my my one uh the one thing that I run on my own basically for the con. Well, not on my own, but you know, just it's sort of like my oversight basically. Um, and that was because I don't have really any like real skills, so I sort of came into the company as like uh you know like a volunteer like intern kind of thing. Uh, but this is sort of where I landed halfway through you know planning for for Gamer X two just because it needed the role needed to be filled, and it's actually just like very administrative and just like mostly emails. So um, I love making spreadsheets. I make spreadsheets in my spare time for fun, just to like <laughs> keep track of things in a video game that I'm doing or to keep track of things that I'm comparing in my mind and want to like have matched on paper just re- lots of random things I just enjoy spreadsheets and just visually laying out things and connecting them so a lot of working on an expo hall is spreadsheets because after you map out the floor then it's just a spreadsheet of like okay this is their name their company their email this is the spot they get this is how many tables and chairs and electricity and wi-fi and you know all, all these sorts of things so it's just one massive spreadsheet of everyone's data that sort of corresponds to the actual 10 by foot 10 or 30 by 30 foot spaces on the floor so i actually have never been to the location of the con before the con just because it's all like online and you know with the floor plan uh mapping it out is pretty easy um but most most of my work is actually just emailing um the representatives from the companies you know who who do their events you know team management or their outreach or whatever um so it's cool you know i get to talk to people from the ubisoft or or oculus or you know all all the different companies microsoft or blizzard just you know lots of cool people that <clears throat> are are excited about uh their company sort of outwardly proclaiming its support um, so not only are we getting to like set up some really cool booths and have a lot of game demos with you know 
cool titles that are on the shelves that gamers are going to come love to sit down and play. Uh, but the people that I'm working with are excited about the con that they're going to do because they know that it's unlike most of the other shows that they have to do. So it's really special. Um, have you ever encountered a problem where the floor space online wasn't actually what the floor space is? And yes. like had to go around that? Yes. Absolutely. Like, I can't say a lot more than that just because I don't want to, like, incriminate people. But, like, if you've ever heard about, you know, just like the stereotype of having to work with hotel management, it's very mm. real. <laughs> and and uh, conven- convention centers in California, by law, are all run by unions. Mm. Um, oh. So there's, there's actually a lot of union stuff that the expo halls have to deal with because the load in and the load out of people's equipments for their booths, because that's so dangerous and they're lifting all this heavy equipment and they have to bring their trucks into the loading dock and unpacking boxes and using luggage carts. uh, That all has to be union run because of the risk. So we have to pay for the union, like, you know, the, the labor, you know, and all of the millions of different ways that they'll charge you for, you know, each nut and bolt that, that goes into the, to this human standing here, lifting this box. Um, and, you know, just, and also just, you know, having to make sure that the exhibitors understand what the, the union stuff is and what they can and can't do. Cause then I'm on the hook. So, um, there's definitely a, a lot of like detail like that. That's, that's not, that's not the fun, the fun side of, of running the expo hall. The fun side is when everyone's already loaded in, all their booths are set up. You see all these amazing companies and their logos and their game demos and all these VR headsets and all these like trinkets and clothes that you can buy. And just everyone's having a good time. That's the fun part when it all comes together, but it takes a long year of, of head down work to put together. Yeah, of course. It must feel real proud when you see it all like come together. Yeah, because they're bigger every year because uh, just more attention or we're finding better deals for, for different locations. And the Expo Hall has just been lucky to get more square footage each year. Um, That's it's incredibly fascinating, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just like, oh, preach, because I, I, this is all familiar to me, like especially like all the micromanagement. Um, you know, especially on move-in day, you know, you gotta work with the unions, you gotta, and then, like, sometimes, you know, freight shipping could go, go yeah. wrong, and, uh, it's, uh, I feel, I feel for you, and this is, it makes me feel proud, because, like, I, 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 like, I, again, like, I'm such a convention junkie, and, you know, I would take off vacations, like, even long before I started working, uh, for this company, I would just literally take use all my vacation days to go to conventions, and now mm-hmm. um, I'm seeing all these in and outs, and like, um, like one day I would love to like you know manage my own convention portfolio or just manage an expo hall like you. Like right now, I'm very on the front lines as an exhibitor, so uh. and I, I and I, my specific job is like is to you know work with the convention what's it called organizers for like you know shipping and mm. logistics and like what's like the attendance numbers and booth and hall locations all that um small detail stuff but i want to go macro i would like i would love to do what you do that's that's so i again like like just being as fascinated as stan is you know i would I just, this is awesome this yeah, is awesome well, just to hear like, all this stuff from you as an exhibitor just every every conversation that you have with whoever manages you they're having that conversation or you know more detailed conversations with every other person that's there 
Um, but for like a thing like PAX East, like their expo hall, that's probably like three times larger than than the one that I I manage. You know that that takes like a lot more people um, to be able to do. But what's cool about GamerX is that, like I said, each year the expo has gotten gotten bigger, and you know trying to innovate in different ways. Like this this past year at GamerX Four, we had uh, a, like a plexiglass constructed theater in the middle of the hall that had. It, we called it the Diversity Theater, um, and it was where companies could, in lieu of submitting programming panels that we would then need to judge and, like, allow or, like, sort of, like, police their topics, um, companies could instead, you know, sort of sponsor this Diversity Theater and sort of use however much time to speak about whatever they wanted to their audience. So sort of a way that they could sort of get in and, and market their products. Cause we, you know, we wouldn't let in, you know, let's talk about the iPhone seven for an hour. You know, that's not going to go on, you know, the official conduct programming, but if they, if the company wants to like pitch something or, or whatever, you know, they don't want to have to submit it through, through the, the programming, you know, the official format, then uh, we had this, little theater inside the expo hall that's had speakers so companies like coca-cola or or oculus were in in that little you know diversity theater giving speeches to anyone who was walking in the expo hall that wanted to sit down um another thing that we did was intel uh was our top sponsor for the past couple years and intel is is doing amazing things and they are definitely sort of like leading the pack um in terms of like our sponsors and what they did this year was really unique, and they spent a significant amount of their sponsorship on uh, the 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 travel and lodging for several uh, indie developers to come and show off their indie games in the Intel booth. Uh, these developers who would not have been able to attend the show or exhibit otherwise, you know. So they were um, people that were diverse or from different backgrounds or whatever, you know. So, and I just thought that was something that was really cool to sort of lead by example from our top sponsor to use their booth space to show. Uh, these games by the diverse people in our community that we're we're trying to cater to. That's really awesome because you can see that like your top sponsor is is into this and they want to continue to try to exploit that as much as possible. That's that's fantastic, and I I, I wish you all the good fortune. All of us wish you good fortune for you know continued success. Like make we, we want to see your shows become bigger. Uh, and and I we can't wait to actually be attend one of your events. That's that sounds so awesome. Yeah, well, it looks like uh, East Two will happen in NYC this autumnish. So just keep an eye out. Yeah, cool for sure. Excellent, excellent. Um, so that was a huge derailing of the of the news bus. That's fine. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. So, it went a good. Okay. It went no, somewhere no, no, real it's good. good. It's good. We're gonna we're gonna take off and exit, do a jug handle turn, and we're gonna be back on track. Uh, Andy, so I want to talk to you. Uh, you had a particularly awesome encounter with uh, a very awesome Super Sentai to- Tokukatsu pop culture icon. You want to talk more about that? Yeah. So um, last Monday, I waited my ass off for. 11 hours in the freezing cold. No, it was like six hours in the freezing ass cold to meet Jason David Frank. Right before, right before the blizzard, by the way. Yeah, it was the <laughs> day before the blizzard. So the cold was at its peak. I had my little blanket with me. 
I was the first person online. I had a book bag of snacks. I was, uh, was kind of set. Oh yeah, I planned this the night before, and I packed everything the night before. It was, uh, the weirdest experience, but like, one of the best experiences I've had recently. How How so, is the Green Ranger, by the way? How's oh, he doing? He is a really <laughs> awesome person. Yeah. Didn't um, he like do MMA at some point or something like that? Yeah, he still currently does MMA. Oh, cool. Yeah, um... I know he's really adamant about his YouTube channel. Uh, he's starting to do a lot of vlogging called My Morphin Vlog, which SNP got featured on a little bit because he let me do a shout out for the podcast, which was freaking awesome. Yeah, he was just a really nice down to earth person. He was really cool. He, he signed my, um, Comic Con Metallic Green Ranger, which was freaking awesome. And my girlfriend actually won a raffle for the same exact Green Ranger pop that I have, autographed wow. by Jason David Frank. Whoa, that's uh, that's real that is, lucky. That is fate. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, it was a it was a great day. Toy Tokyo is awesome too. Like that store is like great. I think this is the first time they've had like an in store event, and I feel like the way they handled things were was really really well. It was just very well put together. I mean, at first it was a little rocky because they didn't know which way to, like, swing the line. So, like, we had, originally we had the line one way. They told us to move the other way. And then we were still, like, blocking businesses. So they made us move a little further out into the sidewalk, going back the other way we originally started. And uh, it was a lot of flip-flopping. I got to meet a lot of cool people. It It was just a really awesome time. That's amazing. Sweet. Uh, Philip, are you a fan of Power Rangers, by, by by the way? No, I wasn't even allowed to watch it when I was a kid. Oh, oh. no! Oh! <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Philip, Philip, wait. This is a good time to plug, but Twitch. Twitch has actually been streaming for the last, like, five or six days. Like, all the seasons of Power Rangers. The, the, the total event, I think it's, like, 21 days of every single season of Power Rangers. They're, like, in... Power Rangers Turbo or Power Rangers like Samurai Force, but that's a good way to catch up with everything. It's really not because all the good episodes are done. Oh yeah, well yeah, well I mean I missed it. <laughs> well, Turbo is great, and uh, the original Mighty Morphin is actually on Netflix. Oh, that's true. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely a good yeah. Mm. Mighty Morphin has been on Netflix. I don't know if it's it's aged well, personally. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, listen, I don't care. All Stan, the Green Ranger episodes. Get off the bus. All get the, off right now. So all of the Green Ranger episodes, and I'm not saying this because I met Jason David Frank, but all of the Green Ranger episodes initial were like fucking amazing. Mm. Is Power Rangers like Voltron? Because I like Voltron. It's, yeah, it's lots of combining like robots and like over the top fighting and and tokusatsu is a a genre of like Japanese TV. I think it literally means like like high special effects. So it's like super stylized fighting with like posing and like every time they transform, Very random explosions. Yeah, random explosions appear up behind them and they're like they get like every single episode of Power Rangers it goes like this. You know, you, you got your evil evil antagonist like Rita Repulsa 
or like Lord Zed. They're like, oh, I'm going to try to take over the world. So they create a new baddie of the week. And then the Rangers, you know, they 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 run they, they go through like every day like high school life troubles and then the baddie <laughs> that like the, their minion you know tries to screw things up and first like the powers just get the upper hand whether taking out the putties or their the the minions and then uh they defeat the 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 monster but then they're like but wait um, the plot twist not really a plot twist but like a plot device you know the the villain like does something like throws that a scepter, does some weird magic stuff, and then the cre- the monster grows a thousand feet taller, and then they have to be like, oh no, it's- he's on kaiju level, so we need to fight with with uh, with our personalities of awesome and Justin attitude and giant mechs that transform and combine, and they have a giant battle, and usually the final move is some crazy ridiculous sword slash, and the, the villain, he's, still, he's like, oh, my body, and he starts turning around and it spontaneously explodes, and it's awesome. You can see where you can see where Chris's fandom started. <laughs> this is true. Well, I don't care. I feel like I'm with, I'm on Chris with this, where I could just watch this shit all day long. Yeah. No, I mean, even before then, even before then, um, I was still, like, re-watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's be serious, Andy waited online at Comic-Con to get that Green Ranger pop, so, I, I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I have a dark, I have a dark Power Ranger secret, and that's that I stopped watching the show before the Green Ranger even debuted, oh, so I've never what? seen any of Oh, that. God, no, Stan! So basically, the story goes, Rita needs a big bed to defeat the Power Rangers, because she can't do it, obviously. So what does she do? She decides to be Zordon, and pick a random-ass high school kid, and gives him the power of the Green Ranger, and brainwashes him into fighting the other Power Rangers. And the Power Rangers wind up beating his ass, well, after he beats their ass for, like, four episodes. And then he joins the Power Rangers. Yeah, he becomes he becomes the badass White Ranger with Saba the Talking Sword well, first and the, the White Lion Sword. Yeah, oh, becomes yeah. the White Ranger during the Mighty Morphin movie, mm-hmm. which was and dope. Yeah, I'm so and sorry, that's Philip. Where, that's where <laughs> Ivan Ooze versus Apocalypse episode comes in. Okay, no, all right, that's it. I'm cutting you off. That was the Power Rangers lore minute. We're moving on. <laughs> I, Philip, we're I, sorry. We get so excited and we go into tangents all the time. I I feel like after I listened to that, the only thing that I can think of is that what must have happened in my neighborhood was like all the boys watched Power Rangers and then just all the girls and queer people just watched Sailor Moon. Just watch Sailor Moon. Yes. I watch yes. Sailor Moon every morning before school. Sailor Moon's so good. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. My, my nightly routine was to come home from school watch Power Rangers, then Sailor Moon followed on on uh, Cartoon Network, and then right after was Dragon Ball Z. It was fucking uh, perfect. Uh, the, ni- the 90s. The 90s were just such a good time for TV. Alright, uh, for the sake of time, it's, uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick the news bus into sixth gear, uh, and and we're gonna go through it, and then we're gonna focus on Philip and all of his works. and what, uh, So, uh, Stan, you have, you were very passionate about this. Um, so news about Mulan. Do you want to cover that? Um, 
I just want... Stan's doing that infamous eyebrow scratch. <laughs> is do, do I is that something I do really? Yeah. All right. Uh, Disney's doing all the live action stuff, right? Disney's doing Mulan also. Mulan's my favorite Disney movie, but they're not putting any of the music in it. That's it. I'm very sad. I I I I emphatically agree with that statement. That's been my favorite my favorite song since I was like teensy little. I know all the words. I'm not joking to this song. It's let's get down to business <laughs> to defeat <laughs> the Huns. Did they send me daughters? Every single when one I- of you remembers running around in your backyard singing that song as you were like punching ninjas out of thin air. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's on my it's on my gym playlist right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if any of our musicians at GamerX would have played I'll Make a Man Out of You in their sets, they would have gotten really good reactions with our audience, just saying. <laughs> well, it hasn't been done yet? Well, I, I think I, I, you should no, use... No, it your, hasn't. You... That's, I, was just th- I was just thinking about this. I was like, oh, that's, a, that's actually a pretty gay song in, like, in like nerd culture. Mm. You should use your excellent executive powers and just, you know, <laughs> put down... put Executive order... And and just just do it. It has to be like either the finale or the beginning. You know, just just to top it off, end the concert, end the event with a giant bang. I think I think that is is, is mandatory. I, yeah, I don't know. That movie is actually pretty sad in regards to to gender things, though. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. If I were, oh, it's kind of weird because it's kind of like they're throwing their roots away and like trying to start fresh in a way. Wait. Are, wait, are they at least gonna have Eddie Murphy? No, uh, I don't think so. Don't... <laughs> then why do it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. If I recall correctly, I think they're they're it's going towards like the darker, more realistic take. Like, That's my favorite like, part of Mulan. <laughs> Wasn't that trend over in like 2008? I thought we as a nation like collectively decided that we didn't want gritty reboots anymore. Like no. after Total after Total Recall just like utterly failed, I was like, Ugh. please please stop touching my favorites. I forgot uh, that I, existed. I, I loved Christopher <laughs> Nolan, but at the same time, like the Hollywood got the wrong message after Dark Knight, or just like Batman Begins, like his Batman trilogy. They took the wrong lessons from it. They, they just assumed everyone wanted dark and gritty, and here we are, nearly ten years later or more, we're still stuck in that, you know, with but uh, Batman Cost, all, Snyder. Batman, no, Batman always, always had that potential to be on, like, a higher plane of, like, emotional impact in cinema, but and I think Mulan could probably do it too, but that's, I mean, just tell a different story. Like, yeah. just just write a new story about a badass woman warrior, take out the fucking part where she has to pretend to be a dude, and just make a new movie with new characters, and don't butcher the old one that was fun and lighthearted and had music and Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Like, I, I completely agree. Don't take out, like, the childhood. So we were very hell-bent on Eddie Murphy, and I loved I, it. No, I agree, because, no, like... I totally agree. That movie's not gonna... Now that I think about it, that movie's not gonna be the same unless you have a little red dragon man going, like, dishonor on you, dishonor on your family. Like, that's... Yeah. I was just gonna be like, did people look at, like, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland and be like, that was his best movie? I... It was not. Oh. It was not. <laughs> I, maybe they feel like you can't have, like, pu- punchy sword time and also music. 
That's what I was just gonna. Maybe they just want. We have to make this a martial arts epic and nothing else. And I'm like you, oh, just ah, uh, uh, yeah. All the bad decisions. All I'm saying is, if they're gonna do a live action Aladdin, they better be keeping the fucking music in. They they are and they are. They're, oh, okay. Yeah, for Aladdin, they are for sure. I didn't even know that they were in the process of that. Yeah. I want to be the tiger. can i can i apply for the role of iago i was gonna say Uh, i want to be iago do do we know anyone at disney philip do you know anyone at disney so we we, so we can all so you can be the tiger and and it can be iago uh i do actually Oh, yes. oh hmm. <laughs> that changes things. I can be the Sultan. I can do a pretty mean Sultan. Uh, I like being evils. So can I be Jafar? <laughs> <laughs> oh okay, yeah, I think okay. I think y'all should just like make a YouTube video skit or something out of this idea. <laughs> okay, so Phil, are you okay with with uh be like with tiger makeup on you or? <laughs> I was in. I was a professional stage actor for five years. What? Do, oh, whoa. do tell. Yeah. Well, that do was tell. Like, that was like my first passion before I decided I wasn't good enough and wanted to try something else. Um, and that something else ended up being nothing until I fell into video oh. games, which is what I always <laughs> wanted to do. But I never learned how to like program or anything, so I, I never thought that I would actually get a job in games. Um, Wait, but yeah. Uh, Philip, how did I you did... fall into it? Sorry. Hmm. How did you fall in? How How did that happen? Like oh, I just happened to to meet Matt Kahn on mm. the interwebs, and I was like, hey, I have all this free time and would love a job. And he was <laughs> like, come work for me. Because I was, I was, so Tony Roca actually is the president of GamerX, and I had met her first, and I was sort of helping her out with things unofficially um, shortly after the first GamerX. Um, and so I was just sort of like, her assistant because we were just friends but i was also like just helping out because i was interested in the cause you know so i was like volunteering at that point um so i started ending up being around and but i just had so much time and me and matt really hit it off and then he was like i want to hire you for real um so i started out actually with being the, the director of gaming and color which is the the feature documentary that we released about the story of lgbt uh, gamers and game culture. Um, so that was actually where where I began. My work on Gamer X sort of began in the midst of that, which was just sort of like slowly working on the beginnings of the Expo Hall, because um, that was just after the first convention, so the work didn't really begin until the movie was sort of out. But yeah, I, I it was basically like an internship, if you will, mm. um, that sort of just evolved into a real position as other people uh, left the company or, you know, weren't getting, uh, what they wanted or, you know, whatever, uh, it would, you know, th- things opened up and, um, just because I have a unique situation right now, I'm able to, I've been working here for almost the last four years. Um, and through that, you know, we've, we've held all these cons, we put out the movie, we put out the game that's now at all, on all these consoles. So we're sort of, you know, trying to, to build like, a little, a little name for ourselves. I, I sort of look at it if, as if, like, like ten or twenty years ago, if you were a bunch of like twenty-something-year-olds and you wanted to like change the world, you might like start a band and release like a really cool album 
And I feel like nowadays, like a bunch of kids, instead of starting a band, they're starting game companies and, and making games just because the tools to make games are so open and accessible to everyone now that people are able to make smaller games without um, prior experience. You don't have to learn how to code or go to school to you know, to make uh, you know a decent Twine game or to learn Game Maker or RenPy or RPG Maker or you know you can you can get started and and get creative and meet other people and go to events and and get into the industry you know pretty easily. Um, and you know, Matt Matt was was starting to when you know trying to start a company, and and so I was there and I was interested, and I've I've held on to, held on to it ever you know this far, and we've we've made a couple of cool things happen. So um, definitely look into the future now as we're sort of working on our our next games and this next con. Yeah, awesome. That's pretty awesome. Philip, Philip, you wrote yeah. you wrote a game through Twine, right? Yeah, I just just released it. Uh, just what was it? I guess. Uh, yeah, they extended the deadline. It was supposed to be on Sunday, but they extended it a day, so I didn't actually submit it until Monday. The, the like the one the one good thing that our game has is is its world and and the plot and the canon and and everything that we've established. And we're like we're obsessed with keeping it like pristine. And in order to do that, every every little detail we want to make sure is plausible and doesn't create any plot holes. Um, and we also had to write a mystery, and a lot of a lot of things happened in a enclosed space uh, in a short period of time. And it it was supposed to be unclear to the player who was responsible for what. So in order to actually make that situation plausible, we actually had to write out, you know, here's who was here at this time, and this is what actually happened. And then you know, presented it to the player in a mysterious way. Um, and so the player eventually finds out who is responsible for what at later points during the game. But I wanted to write a little side story about what, you know, from the perspective of those side characters during that point in the beginning. So it, it actually takes place during uh, the prologue and sort of chapter one of 2064 from the perspective of these teenage punks characters, uh, Chad and Oliver, who are responsible for for breaking into the apartment and they sort of spray paint the place. Um, and so you meet them later on in 2064 after they've done it. But I wanted to write out the story of when they're actually spray painting the place and how they break in and what they're talking about. Um, so it sheds a light on those side characters. And those are some of our fan favorite characters. So I wanted to expand on their story. And I just saw today that someone wrote this like, Tumblr essay like dissecting the game and like writing out each detail that I wrote and like explaining exactly how it correlated to the main game and they like picked up on all like the hints that I dropped and it was just like really incredible to see that someone took the time to like you know absorb what I had done that thoroughly that's amazing what what is the writing process like for you when you do that kind of stuff uh I self-medicate and, <laughs> and sit, sit down at my computer <laughs> and just go 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 basically yeah. um i i have to be like in this certain mood because i i can definitely feel when like my creative juices are flowing so mm-hmm. you know i i know what i need at any current moment like okay no i need to go take a shower i need a snack first i need to do this first right and then w- once i'm ready and then once i'm like okay i'm gonna start it for and then once i sit down and then once i once i actually do it and it's time to go I'm actually pretty good, and then I'll, I'll just like type and type and type and type and type, and I I have more ideas, and the ideas like keep coming the more that I just keep writing. 
Um, so I, I get a lot of work done in very, very short bursts. So I'll write like 20 pages in an hour and then not touch it for like the next day and then come back and look at it with a fresh perspective, re-edit everything that I wrote, add a couple more details, and then sort of send that. So I can get a lot of work done in a, in a short time, but I, I can't force my creativity, you know? I, I couldn't do like a nine to five, you know, if with this kind of thing. It, it has to be just sort of like, I have to like, I have to make deals with myself, you know, on how I'm going to like spend my free time and how I'm going to spend my, my work time get, doing all these tasks. Cause, um, writing tasks, you know, the creativity side of that, it's, it's very unlike any other like administrative or email or like any other sort of like work task that I get assigned. So I have to like manage the creative tasks very differently. Interesting. But yeah. my official title is VP of creative. Uh, so I'm supposedly supposed to be good at that sort of thing. <laughs> what well, is uh go ahead, Chris. Oh, sorry no go ahead oh yeah uh, well philip uh, you you mentioned your your uh your flash of creative works and i, I just I, I was really surprised to say or to hear that uh gaming color was like one of your first forays because uh brian and i we right before the show started we we both watched the documentary that, that was an incredible work i really I, congratulations on finishing it and like releasing it and it's uh it's out there since 2015 and um I just wanted to pick your brain, like, um, like what was what was it like being like the director and like create, having a vision of of this particular documentary in line with uh, with mid bosses and your, um, I, I guess like your initiative or your goals into exploring LGBT uh, issues and especially as it relates to gaming. Yeah, I totally understand. Um, so I had I had never planned on doing anything with film. At all. That was like the last sort of creative outlet that I expected that I would foray into is visual. I was always, you know, theater, writing, games, audio, whatever, never video. Um, but the film was actually not originally started by us. It was actually the inception of some other filmmakers in LA who presented the idea to Matt, who, who they saw the press attention from GamerX and they wanted to make a film about GamerX and they wanted to sort of catalog Matt's creation of GamerX um, but they only ended up actually filming at the con they didn't sort of do like a follow through um, and after after that point they spent all of the money just filming the con so they were out of money so those filmmakers basically gave up on the project so it was going to be one of those sad dead kickstarters that never came out um so we decided to buy the film rights and this is right this is right after I came in. I sort of came into the company during this sort of break and it was weird and awkward at at the at start and I was like what am I getting myself into? Um but we we got the film rights and we were it was me and Matt left essentially and we were like hey we have the footage from the con that was like you and Jessica uh, and a couple other, you know, decent interviews with like the con attendees, but we need more because we can't release a film about us from us. So we had to expand the scope. So now it's like a documentary. It's a feature, like an hour length, and it documents uh, why why games matter in a much more like abstract perspective at the start, and sort of like why games matter, why they're social, why people connect with them, why people engage with their characters, and thusly why different kinds of people will engage differently with different kinds of characters. 
um, and sort of gives like the basis like argument behind having diversity in games and then also details gay people and trans people playing games and their experiences there um, and then sort of gets into game Rex at the end uh, but most of the credit behind the film goes to Ryan Paul, who is a gay cinematographer and who we hired at this point to sort of take the film on past past that point. So he was the one responsible for all of the extra interviews that we did, which greatly expanded our filming. And if you'll notice, most of the interviews that we do in the film are all people that live in New York, and because that's where Ryan lives. <laughs> so he was able to meet these people locally and, and get those interviews done, because like I said, we had no budget. We were just basically trying to scramble something together with, with the, the film footage that we had. Um, but luckily, we were able to work with amazing people like Colleen Macklin, who's uh, a professor, and Naomi Clark is a professor, um, and uh, just like uh, George Sclears, who works at Riot Games, uh, who make League of Legends. So um, we had like uh, a diverse sort of uh, lineup of not only developers, but uh, academics, uh, you know, people that are engaged in the community. Uh, the guy who was on the PlayStation's The Tester reality show as the gamer, G-A-Y-mer, and who won the, the series, so he was like popular at the time. And, uh, and so he, he was in the film, and, and so we had like, not, not like huge celebrities in the film, but we had like a wide array of different types of people who engage in games in different ways, and their experiences being queer, and how it impacts the industry in all of these different ways. And so that was what I really enjoyed about the film um, and sort of what I wanted to do. It's sort of those three parts. Um, but yeah, most, mostly it was it was Ryan's work. We, we worked him to the bone really, really over time to sort of get it together in time just to meet the deadline that the Kickstarter had set, even though so much of the time there was no work on the film being done at all. Um, but we were able to put something together. We released it on our own on a website called VHX. Um, and then later that year, uh, we were picked up by Devolver Digital Films, uh, their film subsidiary. Um, Devolver's awesome. And they were able to get us out on iTunes and Amazon and Steam and Google Play. And so we're on all the major platforms now with Gaming of Color. Um, and so that's been pretty exciting. So, you know, my name's at the top of that bill, <laughs> even though it wasn't really like my creative vision from the start. And I'm, I'm not like a, a filmographer or anything of that sort. You know, I was just sort of like the creative force and just putting the pieces together just to, to release it. Um, but nobody else was really attached to it by then. Um, besides, it was just me, Matt, and and Ryan Paul. Um, but since then, we've been able to sort of take it around to a bunch of film festivals or university screenings or a couple museums. We just had a screening during GDC at the Goethe Fest, uh, Institute in San Francisco, which is the uh, German government's cultural center in San Francisco. And there's a they're running a festival right now called games and politics and that's been going all over the country and they hosted a screening of gaming color during the san francisco leg that was during gdc so that was awesome um so it's still still getting a couple of, of screenings here and there and it's just a nice thing to sort of have in the company's repertoire we didn't do it to like make a million dollars or anything you know but it was just uh it was a really unique project and glad that uh, something like that exists. I think that uh, the most merit that it has, 
Um, and sort of the most useful way that I encourage people who like it to use it is to, um, if you have Amazon Prime, it's actually free to watch. Um, but anywhere else you can like rent it for like $2. Um, but basically it's a very good educational tool for all of the trolls online who don't understand why gay people play video games or why they should or deserve to play video games. And now here's a 60 minute long film that they can go watch from multiple people and have it explained to them like they're five. So you don't have to spend <laughs> your day yelling at them on Twitter. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, no, I absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why that's how that's that's the purpose that I want it to serve. I don't want ever. I don't want us to have to be making those arguments. They're documented. They're on. They're they're on a DVD that mm -hmm. you can give people. You know. Yeah. Uh, what I've found most poignant um, about the documentary, which was incredibly well done, and congratulations again, like uh, for uh, all those awards and that, and the fact, like that's so cool that uh, it's being be showed at like the at the Gouda Center. That's so cool. You know this this message of like representing ma representation matters, and um, you know trying to build safe spaces and have trying to educate people this is all great tools and, and i find that p really uh pronounced and and it's like there's like a connected tissue between all those core themes the core uh, messages and and gaming and color uh tied to uh 2064 because it's um there, there there's a lot of the of those lgbt th themes that that populate and and it's very queer friendly and i that's one of the great many things i love about this game was there any anything that informed you in gaming color that bled over into 2064 or vice versa and i guess for people who don't really know what 2064 read only memories is could you explain uh, like uh what it is and what was like like the backstory and uh, and what are what uh creative elements that help inform like the final product yeah uh well first of all i will i will say that yes uh the 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 queer the queer friendly and queer power element that all of our works have is just a company staple of ours just because of who we are and and sort of uh what we want to be known for um and so that continues throughout everything that we do unless we like are specifically going to say otherwise you know you can expect that there's going to be you know queer elements and we're always going to be trying to push the envelope in new ways and i think 2064 did some really cool things in sort of like character creation and i think that our next games i want to see them have more like actual more diversity in in the cast of characters that we're showing um, to the extent that we can, just because we're going to keep around like so many of the characters from 2064, just because they're also great. Um, but yeah, actually, if you study the course of our company, most of the things that we do are, I guess the word is, I you know, I guess the word reactionary has sort of been getting a bad rap lately, but that's sort of what I used to call it, because... Um, GamerX was sort of, a, you know, Matt's reaction to not feeling welcome in the larger games community and, and gaming culture being very, like, heteronormative and, and you know, masculine. Um, and then the film 
was sort of, like I said, a response to people who didn't understand why GamerX needed to be a thing, or why gay people need a space for them, or why they need a convention at all. Because we get a lot of criticism for GamerX. I don't know if y'all know that, but we get a ton. People don't understand, they think that we're self-segregating, is what they call it. They don't understand why, why gay people would want to, would have a space where they can feel confident that everyone around them is not going to, um, you know, have a problem if they, you know, talk about their sexuality or their partner or their, or their life or anything that would come up in normal conversation, even though people like to pretend that sexuality doesn't come up in conversation. And if it ever does, then you're just screaming about it and being obnoxious. But, um, people make their sexuality known through normal conversation and in lots of ways that most people don't think about because it's normative. Um, and I'll, I can go on to days and days and days and days and days and days for that. Um, but, but read-only memories was then a response to the people who were saying, okay, then, uh, if you have all of these things that you want to see in games, how about you go make your own game instead of telling other developers what to do? And we're like, okay. So we did, and so we made our own game, and that's where Read Only Memories started, and we wanted to make uh, a game that would tell a rich story, is where we started off, because we wanted to sh uh, portray uh, gay and trans characters in positive ways and meaningful roles, and so we needed a story-based game kind of format, um, and we had our lovely pixel pusher JJ already employed working on GamerX, with his lovely pixel art, so, um, and both Matt and JJ love old point-and-click adventure games like Snatcher and Police Knots, and so they they both came together, Matt and JJ, and they were like, let's make uh, a new take on Snatcher, but just make it gay and take out like the misogynist elements and sort of just like modernize it, and we'll put the GameRex mascot, Turing the robot as the lead character. I don't know if most people know that, but Turing started out as the mascot for Game Rex, and there are actually a bunch of them, um, not just the blue one, but there's a red one and a purple one. And there used to be a green one, but we killed the green one. <laughs> I don't know why we killed the green one. It was kind of cute, but <laughs> Tony hated it. Um, so I guess there are three, uh, but we decided to use the blue one, and it was actually named Tur Turing by Zach Wienersmith of SMBC Comics. Um after Alan Turing, of course. Um, but that his name actually came before the whole, like, sapient robot storyline. We sort of built that off of his name already being Turing um, mm. because he was the Game Rex mascot. Um, and so their Kickstarter for that was also successful. Um, I started working on that uh, in 2014, about, like, six months after the Kickstarter because they had to build the code base and get all the, you know, the code going just to get like the basic game started because I was just working on the writing and the creative and that sort of thing. Um, so I had to get the film released first. So that came out in April, 2014. Um, and so that was around the time when I started working on Real Memories. And then we released that in October, 2015 on Steam. Um, and then immediately used the profits of that to fund 2064 Read Only Memories, which was the upgraded PlayStation 4 version because we had the opportunity to release on console. And we wanted to, but we also wanted to fix a lot of the problems that we had with the game's puzzles that weren't hitting right, that were knocking us in our reviews. 
um, a couple of the characters that were getting, you know, basically, you know, addressing the things that, that fans were critiquing. And, you know, uh, a lot of the old, like, by the way, point-and-click games um, from the past that, like, the super long, like, narrative games, those took, like, several, several years to make. And we put out Riddle Memories in, in two. Um, and so having that extra year of dev time sort of let us make you know what readily memories was supposed to always sort of be like um and because we released it early we had this extra burst of funding that we needed to add voice acting to the game which is what we always wanted to do um so we added full voice acting uh and it's always hard to to release a game without voices and then to add voices um you know we were worried about any fan backlash and you know if they if they didn't sound right you know people being upset um but we've actually most of the people that have played the game before actually like the voices more than people that are coming to the game for the first time um i get more criticism from people that have just never played it before honestly so i i feel pretty confident about that actually that people that who had already known the characters have enjoyed the character the, the voices that we gave them because it's it is risky to do that especially for for some someone like Turing that we want to sort of be like the eternal mascot for for gay gaming you know um who is voiced by the wonderful Melissa Hutchison who's also known for voicing Clementine in the Walking Dead Telltale game um and also uh Komasan in Yokai Watch so nice uh, I I haven't played the game like in the the original format. Like, I I got exposed to the game when voice acting was uh, added, which is really recent. It was like January twenty seventeen. Yeah, it was like yeah. two months ago. Yep. And the voice acting is on point. So Thank I, you. I had to I, had to, I agree. I, yeah, I, everyone on that. I think it's funny that you brought that up because um, I haven't physically played the game myself, but I've been watching lots of plays of it. Oh yeah, I love I love some of the let's plays. There's there's one right now that Jesse and Jerry are doing for controller rollers on the Elite Three channel on YouTube right now. That is probably the best YouTube let's play that I've oh, ever I seen. I definitely need to check that out then. And Jesse Jesse, who does the let's play, is also the voice of Zin in the game. And I knew her as no whacking because she's an <laughs> abridger. And I used to be active in the abridging community way back in the day with like Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridge and Dragon Ball Abridge and all the other like associated abridges. And she did a Pokemon Bridge way back in the day. And I actually met her in person in 2012 at a random anime convention. Uh, and then she ended up auditioning for the game that I worked on. So I was like, fuck yes, we're hiring you no matter what. <laughs> and we didn't even hold auditions for Zen. Uh, but we 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 casted her for that role because she was great, and she was she also voices Cactus Canary, who is a a side character who's a, a wrestler that you can see at certain times. But yeah, she's awesome. So she does the let's play, so it's really cool when when they come across her character and she's reacting to hearing her voice in the game in the final product for the first time. So that's check, amazing. Yeah, check that out. I, I, yeah, they're great. But yeah, while I was watching these let's plays, that was like my first thought was like. Wow, this voice acting is so on point and like amazing. I don't remember. I don't remember the character that I was watching, but um, just like the voice actor himself got me so like into the game, and I wound up watching like forty minutes of Let's Play without me even realizing it. Wow, I <laughs> wish I knew which character it was then, because I would love to talk about whoever whoever the the actor was. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. I think the writing is like 
phenomenal in that game. Honestly, it's it's very it's very witty in a way that reminds me a little bit of Earthbound. In that, just like yes. there's just like a lot Earth- of yeah. Go ahead, Phil. Earthbound is one of Matt's favorite games. Yeah. And also, when Undertale came out, actually, like a month before we released ROM, and uh, we have like very like similar audiences to Undertale. So a lot of people that liked Undertale very much like engage with 2064 and read only memories like very very well. Um, so yeah, Earthbound, those kinds of games definitely. Yeah, we 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 definitely are like very critical of our writing, and just because everything has had so many passes, particularly by myself and Matt, just a billion times since the original uh, writing came in. Um, that we want every line to sort of like give some bit of information or at least be punchy or or sound cool um so if yeah a, a lot of a lot of even the bad reviews have said what the characters actually say sounds really good most of the time <laughs> even if they didn't like the story or the pacing or whatever they they still enjoyed the actual conversations regardless of whatever you know the outside narrative want, was the one on one moments that you have with the characters i think is pretty much like the the shining spot and yeah. i agree yeah i just I, I just love like getting into the game and like being able to like attempt to like talk to and like interact with everything like um in the early part of the game i just kept trying to throw my id out the window and it's just like you can't stop doing that you can't oh, do yeah. that <laughs> so i'd love to talk about the flavor text so yeah, yeah so there's obviously there's a lot of of, of writing in the game um, and for this game, I wasn't involved in uh, writing the plot. I did some of the major dialogues and some of the scenes, um, and just as the editor, you know, I had a lot of influence on on the wording and and things of that nature, and, and changing a couple of, of elements here and there. Um, so it has my influence, but uh, most of the flavor text in the game, the actual interactive. Uh, the text that appears when when you do those look and use and talk and and use your items on the random set objects that was actually my writing and that was sort of my focus for most of the development was was doing all of those interactions and what was cool about it is because our original developer set up um, the, the 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 language tools our scripting system is based on twine syntax um, so it's very simple, and it was very easy. That's why it's so easy for me to pick up and actually uh, edit and and work on the game. You know, from having no experience, it's just because our scripting language is so um, simplistic. Um, but it is actually a little more advanced than Twine, um, and it has um, the capability for like for those sort of cyclic um, interaction texts that you see if you if you tried to perform the same interaction more than once, you'll get a different bit of text. Um, And because we had that tool, I was like, okay, I fucking hate playing point-and-click games, because I had to play a lot to, like, research um, to play this. You know, we were playing, like, Gabriel Knight. um, And what I loved about Gabriel Knight was Virginia Capers. Um, And I put her in the special thanks of 2064, because she was what inspired me most um, with this particular part of my job on 2064. And Virginia Capers is uh, the Cajun lady who did 
the narration for for Gabriel Knight. So whenever you would click on things in Gabriel Knight, she would be like, "You can't do that, Gabriel," or just or things of that nature. And her voice was so enjoyable, but she was also like very sarcastic. Like, why would you do that, Gabriel? And just <laughs> things like that of, of that nature. And she she made interacting with the non you know the the non major elements of the game like the side things you know when when you're looking at a scene if you're like me before you start talking to the man in the center of the room you're going to look at and t- and click on everything around the set before him and so a lot of gamers won't do that though and that's also due to a lot of adventure games not rewarding them for exploring um particularly with uh item usage there's a lot of games that'll be like, you can't do that right now, or that wouldn't work, or this won't work with that. Um, and that was the most negative part of those experiences, because if that was all that the game was offering me for, for these clicks, why would I spend my time exploring around or doing anything besides what was the obvious solution at the time until I until I had to? And then those times that you got stuck were even more frustrating because it was just all of that negative feedback at once while you were clicking around and exploring. So I said, okay, what we're going to do is for every time that someone does one of these click interactions, there's going to be at least two unique lines of text that will appear that will at least be decent, will at least have some sort of joke or pun or some sort of small offering besides you're an idiot or that doesn't work, you know, something like that. And because I wanted the city to come alive, I wanted it to feel bustling more than it can despite most of the screens being static and and it being in first person and you can't actually move or or get close to things. You know, I wanted people to still feel rewarded and, and find interest in what happens when they click on things and then also feel engaged enough to click on things more than once and explore the same thing more than once and see how many times they can get a new bit of text every time that they do this. Because every once in a while, there are a bunch of parts in the game where um, we hide things, where you click on something and you'll look at it and it gives you a bit of text, you know, and it'll go like one, and then the next time it'll be line two, and it goes back to line one. So people are like, okay, so I cycled back to the top. Well, there are times that we hide things in those cycles where if you do it like five times, the sixth one will give you a new line. Or, you know, uh, if you go to the pub crawl bar, there's this one girl that won't talk to you, and you can keep trying to talk to her, or she won't like not talk to you, but she won't speak. You know, and she won't speak every time that you try to talk to her until like the tenth time. And so there are a lot of these hidden, like, things. Or if you're in the Stardust bar, you can look at the chair, and the first line's like, oh, that's a chair. And then the second line is like, that sure is one chair there. And then and then the third line is like, what about that chair over there? Or whatever. And, and, it, <laughs> and it just keeps building these rhymes, and every time that you look at it, it goes on for, like, 25 different lines. And so there are all these little bits of, like, hidden interactive jokes in every bit of the scene and so I wanted to reward people for spending the time to actually engage with the random glass of whiskey on the bar or the weird pipe that's sticking out of the ceiling or the wires on the floor or what's on the table here, you know, before they just like, oh, I need to use the key on the door. Oh, I need to talk to the person, you know, moving from point A to point B. You can do that and you can finish the game in a pretty short time. 
uh, but the people that actually take the time, there are thousands and thousands of, of flavor text lines that most people don't see in an average playthrough just because they're not doing all of the interactions that are available to them. Even the most like weird, like, use the HR brochure on the piece of garbage on the floor will give you like a bit of text that you can't get anywhere else in the game unless you do that, even though there's nothing consequential about it. <laughs> wow. Phil- yeah. Philip, have you ever seen like a Let's Play video where literally every single line of flavor text was was found? Because that would be fantastic or just mind blowing. I've definitely seen playthroughs from people that are very explorative and who get a kick out of the flavor text, and it reminds me, I'm like, oh yeah, I did write that stupid pun at that one weird interaction <laughs> in the, the outside bar. If you look at the wreath the third time, you know, or whatever, and and things of that nature. Eventually, most people around like the fifth or sixth chapter of the game, when things pick up and things get intense, people sort of like pick up the pace and stop like stopping to smell the roses. And there, there absolutely is like a very big tonal shift around the halfway point of the game where things get very serious. And the flavor text sort of reflects that. I sort of toned down the referential humor, the jokes, and made a a, a bit more of like world building elements for just like long like thoughtful jokes you know that people are like oh it just like <laughs> took like a, a second to like reflect on rather than just like the slapstick humor or things like that yeah the, the flavor text is definitely one of my favorite parts of the game and and i'm i'm kind of glad you got really mad at those point and click games because it made it made my time exploring uh 2064 really engaging and that i i play them the same way you do where i'm just like trying to click everything and see like if i can can i use the headphones on the book on the windowsill and stuff like that and i really did you ever oh sorry go ahead no i was just saying i just really appreciate that it it's there because it made it really immersive for me thanks i was just gonna ask if you've ever played like any of the the humongous entertainment uh children's uh educational point and click adventure games like pajama sam or putt putt or Spy Fox or Freddy Fish. <laughs> those are some of my, my favorite games ever. And those were some of also the best games that I've played in terms of like everything that you see, you can click on and everything is interactable and clicking on it, you know, doesn't do much, but give you like a silly joke or some like funny interaction, but it extends the gameplay. It allows a lot more interaction than just moving from one conversation to the next conversation. Uh, yeah, Humongous Entertainment actually came back recently. They released all of their games on iPhone and like sell shirts now. You can get like a really cool like Pajama Sam shirt or a Putt Putt shirt. So I I wear them all the time. Um, And if nobody knows about these games, go on YouTube and go watch some videos by Peanut Butter Gamer about Putt Putt or go watch Pajama Sam videos by Brutal Moose. Actually, Brutal Moose just uploaded a video about Pajama Sam 2 like an hour ago. I was just watching it, so it's actually fresh on my mind. Um, So I'm glad this came up. Uh, But yeah, point-and-click adventure games... I love children's games too. Just just from Humongous Entertainment, though, like the Backyard Sports series, I grew up on that shit. Or even like the Lego games, Lego Star Wars, like the first one. Ah, same, <laughs> same. But like even like back in the day, like Lego Island. I've I've always had a, a lot of fun with Lego games, regardless of what Lego games they were. I feel like the uh, like everything was just so enjoyable about it. Yeah. 
All right, so, Philip, do you have any other things you want to say about 2064, about the work that you're doing? Maybe, um, is there going to be a, a Vita version of 2064? Yes, please, <laughs> please let there be pocket? a Vita version. <laughs> there is a Vita version. We've been working on the Vita version for since forever. It was supposed to release at the same time, but it didn't. Um, the Xbox version is coming sooner. Um, just because we're having to create a new engine for the game to run on uh, before we can do the Vita port, just because of the the hardware. But we're actually going to use that engine to be making the next game as well, so that's sort of important as well. But yes, the Vita version is coming. I don't know, I, I'd love to talk to, uh, more about 2064. I just, yeah. I don't know, what, what, are, what, are, what are we curious about? Well, um, the character that I was watching the Let's Play on was, uh, Decker. Oh my gosh, I knew you were talking about Decker. I knew you were talking about <laughs> Decker. And I was so excited that I was I was hoping that you were talking about Decker. So yeah, uh, Decker was a unique case because we knew we had to cast him, so we held auditions. And the only one that felt right for a while, and it was actually pretty good, and it was by this, like, really well-known like famous famous voice actor um but eventually we got another audition that came in from someone we didn't know and and we listened to it and we were just like that sounds like decker and we looked and the guy that who sent it had like no voice acting experience like to show up like no like commercial roles like he had done like like a like a side voice acting role in a, in like one game before for friends like some indie game or something and that was it and that's who we casted as Decker just because he was that impressive with his audition that nobody else even stood a chance and we like I didn't I you know we were we were conflicted because we wanted to have you know as many like big names as we could but at the end of the day when it came down to the voice and who really made that role come alive. If you've played 2064, go, you know, chapter 6 when it starts and you're standing on Treasure Island right before you go down in the tunnel, go talk to Decker before you do it. That conversation with Decker in the outside tunnels uh, was one of the conversations that I wrote for the game, and I think it's probably Decker's best scene before, like, his last scene. Um just because it's very wistful, it's very quiet, and you can sort of just hear the emotion in his voice. Um, and his voice actor's name is is Damien McGivney. And and yeah, like he, he this was like we were like, I guess we're like debuting him because we know that we're gonna get asked about him because how fucking incredible this performance is. Yeah, his his uh, his voice acting is on point. The fact that he can go from, like, this psychotic, like... Spoilers! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but just, like, yeah, his his switches from, like, one thing to the next is uh -huh. just amazing. Yeah, and that was, that was, like, the one criteria, is that we wanted Decker to come across as very friendly, uh, sort of, like, harmless, 
somewhat likable, but he was also kind of like disgruntled and grumpy and just like leaned against the wall. So you didn't really worry about him, but you also weren't like trying to be his best friend because he also hangs out with this old dude. But he's also like nice enough and he's like helping you out. So you're like, okay. So he's like friendly enough, but you know, so we wanted him to like come across really nice. And in the trailer where we announced the voice acting or the voice actors, the very first trailer, the line that we picked to announce Decker, he's like, oh, hang in there, little guy, like talking to Turing. He's like, you'll be all right. And, you know, he just he just like comes across as just like your friend and people who have only seen that trailer and then go and play the game. You know, by the end, things things don't end up that way. <laughs> and just, you know, his his ability to sort of to sound so friendly at first and then not only to nail the audition lines that we had sent him, you know, during his whole his whole sort of meltdown, but um the twenty sixty four version actually expands uh that fight with him uh greatly and adds that whole backstory with his wife and, and his you know, his family and uh goes a little deeper into into his history and and things of that nature and just sort of like the special effects and like the weird like saxophone music that plays during that part i just think that it's uh, it's i'm really proud but it of that, all came together like so perfectly yeah that, yeah i think yeah Ko- kotaku called it one of the worst boss fights of all time though so that's okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't understand why reviews are subjective but um but yeah, I think his his voice definitely did the job, and he was probably the character that had the biggest transformation uh, from the original version to the twenty sixty four release. Um, hmm. Yeah, I want to like if I ever like write like a book, I want to hire Damien to like do the audiobook because he has such a perfect voice <laughs> for audiobooks. Like I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Like Scott Brick is a audiobook narrator that I really like. He sounds like Scott Brick. He does a lot of like tonal inflections that Scott Brick does when he when he like does his his character voices. Like Decker's Decker's voice is really good because it it sounds like a guy trying to do a character voice, which is good because he's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> so the meta the meta is all, all lines up. That's it's yeah. fantastic. Um, Philip, I want to ask you about. Xavier Woods being a oh. voice actor in, in in this game because if well, I recall from it, the it's it's not Xavier Woods it's Austin Creed I'm sorry I'm sorry Austin Austin Creed, Austin Creed of YouTube's Up Up Down Down fame excellent yes Ex- uh, I'm sorry <laughs> I I I'm, I'm such a new but like I I just I just really want I'm just really curious because like uh, no you're not wrong correctly, that's just how we have to say it. Okay. Okay. Excellent. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you corrected me, but I'm really curious because I know, like, uh, I think if I recall correctly, you, uh, you and Stan. Oh, we all know Stan's like a huge, huge pro wrestling fan, but oh, okay. you, apparently you are too, right? Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, so, excellent. Cool. So if Stan might understand, but Xavier Woods is the character that WWE creates that is played by Austin Watson. Yeah. And Austin Creed is who we have to say that we have hired for this voice acting role. And he is known for his YouTube channel. And that's it. Because Xavier Woods is a wrestler that appears on WWE and is not who did the voice acting. And we also had to do this for Darren Young, um, for, because he was a special guest at Gamer X2. So we had to say, this is Fred Rosser, uh, known for being Darren Young on WWE programming, you know? 
things of that nature. And that's sort of just how they have to be built for their extracurricular events. Um, and so that's why I was making that joke. For, so a little for, bit of a little bit of inside WWE info for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah, Austin's Austin's great. Uh, we are huge fans of WWE. Um, I actually started. So I. <sighs> I have to give you the whole story. Can I give? I have to give you the of whole. Of course, do story. it. Start from the beginning. Start okay. from the beginning. This is great. <laughs> okay, so I didn't watch wrestling until I joined Midboss. So let's say November 2013. And if you're a fan, you know what a pivotal time period this was for the WWE Championship. Um, and so I was hearing all these things. Oh, what's going on with the Wyatt family and 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 Daniel Bryan and the Authority? Because I was making constant trips down to San Francisco to stay at Matt's house because I had just become recently employed by him, so we were getting to know each other. Um, and so he, Matt Kahn, is a huge wrestling fan and always used to watch wrestling with his dad, and that was sort of how they bonded. And so Matt has you know, remained a, a wrestling fan through his adult life and was mostly watching WWE around that time. Um, and so I had never watched wrestling. Uh, I was not allowed to when I was a child. I remember... You know, the only time that it ever sort of entered my atmosphere was sort of like Stone Cold Triple H long hair era, you know, way back then in the Kmart aisle. And that was it. And that was the only time that I'd ever engaged with it until, you know, now. Um, and so I I was sort of like overhearing things. And so the first time that I actually sat down to watch wrestling with Matt was Mania 30. And Daniel Bryan's underdog story from the first match to the last match in that night and also just how they had built it with him randy orton the authority batista just all these things i still think that was one of the greatest wrestling storylines that ever occurred and daniel bryan is who made me fall in love with wrestling and it was that night and i watched raw the next night, Paige debuted, and I was like, holy shit, and then I was hooked. Um, but yeah, I definitely attribute it to, to Daniel Bryan, and sort of, you know, that point on was not the best part of his career, and was also, you know, just after CM Punk had left. So I was sort of, like, coming across this very new era of wrestling where two of these top stars were sort of out of the picture and this new thing called NXT was getting a lot of attention. And so I started watching NXT. Uh, and since then, you know, I've dabbled in ROH and New Japan and uh, Lucha Underground, which is now on Netflix. If you're not a, if you've never watched wrestling, go on Netflix and go watch Lucha Underground. It is the best wrestling probably out there today, probably better than WWE. And it's also, it's like presented as like a drama, like television series that has like, wrestling action in the midst of it and it's very very amazing and you should all watch it um even if you don't like wrestling because it's just it's presented as like a normal tv show and the storylines are just very engaging uh and but also the in-ring action is is really amazing and it's a lot easier to jump into for 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 new viewers than like jumping into wwe right now would be mm -hmm. yeah um and so at this point, um, I needed a new favorite because Daniel Bryan was out of the picture. So I'm looking around and, you know, I'm still in my like early Mark phase. So I don't know who's who yet. 
Um, and so I, for whatever reason, uh, Kofi Kingston caught my eye. And so I became like this Kofi mark for, for most of 2014. And that was weird because he was definitely on like the downward curve of his career at that exact moment, like actively like falling. Like, jobbing to Seth Rollins, and then jobbing to Bo Dallas. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. Like, that kind of fall. Um, but I was, like, I was adamant, and nobody else believed me. I had the guy who ran social media for for WWE making fun of me because I liked Kofi Kingston so much and thought that he was going to be champion soon. Um, but I saw something in him, and I knew that this was got to go... I knew that his talent had to go somewhere, and I knew that it couldn't be squandered like this. And just a few months later, they formed the New Day, and that gave me something to just absolutely rally behind. And everyone hated it at first, because when they were babyfaces at the very start, before the whole like New Day sucks thing, nobody liked it but me. And I was like, no, y'all watch, this is amazing. And you're like, this is trash, <laughs> they need to all be fired, this is garbage, why did they build this? And I was like, no, y'all have no idea where this is going. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, the heel turn, and then 2015 was just entirely the year of New Day leading up to WrestleMania 32 in Dallas with their Dragon Ball Z costumes at their entrance, which was just oh, so fantastic. Wild. So good. <laughs> and so um, New Day is hot, right? And and I'm like, just like on cloud nine, I'm like, my favorites, you know, they're the longest reigning tag team champions in WWE history of all time now. And so I'm just like over the moon is like I called this jobber that was probably on the verge of like getting released and his career has just, you know, I saw it, you know, I was I was just very excited that that my my underdog favorite had had found all this success and fame and is still enjoying that. And I've gotten to to meet him a handful of times now at this point, which is cool. Um, But Austin, yeah, he he started his YouTube uh, channel up, up, down, down. And was doing some really cool things, uh, getting it like featured on like the weekly television shows, or at least name dropped, you know, and and like branding it with WWE, featuring the wrestlers, um, and going to cons, you know. So we ran into him at a con here or there, uh, you know, started Twitter DMing him, and he was very excited about the idea of 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 being in a video game. And we had this role, Vincent, who was. Perfect, and Vincent's last name is Mensa, who is also already named after Kofi's last name. Um, <laughs> Kofi's real last name. That was a, a reference there. Um, and then uh, Vincent's wife in the game, her name ended up being Francesca, which was a reference to uh, Xavier Woods' trombone in the New Day Act. Um, but yeah, he was incredible to work with. Very, very, very professional. Uh, very committed to uh, understanding that he did a good job and uh, wanting to make sure that he understood the, the character and was was doing it justice and, and the quality and everything. And um, we did it as many times as we needed to until everyone felt comfortable. And he was just, you know, you know, absolute professional, just, you know, couldn't say a bad thing about the guy. I got to give him a hug at PAX South just last month. Um, oh, yeah. no way. I want... Oh, man. I... Darn it, Philippines, for getting me sick. I wish because I, <laughs> I could have I could have met you. I could have met Austin or at least mm. a solid person. Oh man, there's always yeah, hope uh, for the future. 
always for he's the a, future. He, yeah. He's he's a really cool guy. He's probably like one of the shortest people in the company and he still dwarfs me and I feel great about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that that's so incredible. And I love how I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's all connected, you know. You, you, like, like he, like, uh, um, you just happen to have like mutual interests. You just and like you follow his channel. Then you just met him at a couple cons, and you know, then you, you have all the synergy and this optimism that it creates a beautiful work. And then now you, you guys can do future projects if 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 uh if that's in the pipeline. And that's just awesome. That's so inspiring. Yeah, I think it also helped that we had we had worked with Darren Young in the past, so like. Just you know, we were just able to drop that name at least, just to be like, hey, we're we're not like some some loser that's you know trying to get you to be in his his nothing game, you know, or something like that. You know, we were we were really trying to to be like, we want to, to highlight and feature you in this role that's very serious acting role for you, um, because that's what he wants to be as an actor. You know, that's that's what wrestlers essentially are. The really really good wrestlers are actors more than they're athletes. Um, and so he he absolutely killed the role, and yeah, it's been it's been it's been quite a ride. I'm excited to to see if uh, we can have more more cool people, you know, just random random people in the voice cast. Like we had Todd Bridges from from Different Strokes who who popularized the What You Talking About Willis that guy. Yeah, so he, he he's in the game just like weirdly. Um, the voice of Launchpad McQuack from DuckTales is in the game. Um, what? Oh, man. That's so good. <laughs> Jim, Jim Sterling from the Jimquisition YouTube channel. Uh, mm. Dan Reichert. Jonathan Holmes. A bunch of just, like, peculiar people who are just sort of, like, came together for this project. But we love doing weird shit. Like, we're never not going to do weird shit that just yeah. makes you turn your head. But you're going to pay attention to it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Philip, if you could cast anyone, anyone like uh, uh, in the world for a game or a project, who who would you cast? Cast someone for like a, a voice role? Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Oh my gosh, that's that's an incredible question because you know every there's like video game voice acting gets like a, a bad rap because people make like jokes about like Nolan North getting like every role or or whatever have you like like the the one or two like big big names that sort of take up most of like the mainstream game like protagonist voice roles like Nolan North or whoever else there is uh I would like to work with Matt Mercer who was just the voice of McCree in Overwatch we got to meet him at PAX as well and he's a really cool guy Matt was like doing like a Nick Arcade like game show thing with him uh for for the PAX attendees it was really cool but uh has anyone here played Overwatch? Y'all seem to have no idea. Oh, oh yeah. we are such big Overwatch okay. fans. Okay, yes. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. I, I take the Overwatch competitive season a little too seriously. Oh, where are you in? Uh, right now, I just hit uh, gold rank. Nice. I had a really... It, it's really weird, because me and my friend, we both we both did our competitive like pre-matches, and we won five, we lost five. And he got put in gold rank, and I got put in bronze. And it's I think it's because I mainly play as healer. And from what I hear, they count in like your kills. And obviously, I'm not I'm not killing anything if I'm a healer. Mm. So um, I had to work my way up to gold, but I'm currently gold. So Ooh. 
It's uh, it's cool that you mentioned Matt Mercer because uh, I I I haven't actually met him, but uh, he's all aside from Overwatch, he's really really well known for Critical Role. And when I was working mm-hmm. my first Gen Con, Talison and Marisha Ray they showed up at our booth, and it was such a crazy like out of world out-of-body experience because the like, critical i love uh, i mean we um a couple episodes ago we we did um our first dustin and dragons trilogy episode uh mm-hmm. which was really really fun and i love dustin dragons I, lo- I love listening to a lot of uh critical role and uh, other podcasts like um the adventure zone so just meeting them mm. in person was wild and we were trying we were trying so hard to get matthew to to come by the table because um, I, th- I don't know if you guys know, uh, with my company, uh, we create dice rings, which are spinner rings mashed up a die. Uh, so you can use it as a replacement for D20s or D100s in um, like tabletop RPGs. So obviously D&D. Um, and for Critical Role, we actually make special custom dice rings for them. I don't think they... I don't think they've been selling them on their website lately, but they were there uh, in the past, like a year or maybe before. Uh, we would sell a, our classic D twenty ring, but instead of the natural twenty on it, it had their their logo on it. So, uh, they're it's a really popular with the community, and so they they were really friendly with us. They was they were, it was really cool. We got pictures, and um, we were trying so hard to get Matthew to come by and we were try- actually we were joking around with uh with Marisha and Talison um to get them to get Matthew to come here because we were trying to bribe him with giving us one of our GM staffs which is this awesome handcrafted staff that me and my boss uh oh primarily my boss but I started helping uh with making them, we we made them custom workshop. It has all of our products on it, and we wanted to hand it over to him as a like a as like a gift because he's, he's like the king, the king of D and D right now. Um, but so I haven't actually met Matthew, but I met Talisin and Marisha, and, and now now Marisha is engaged to Matthew. So it's, it's I, I'm, I'm practically there, but it's it's really that's really cool. That's really cool that Matthew's your your top pick for voice actor. And yeah, I actually just changed my pick. Oh, did you? Yeah. Now I, 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 I was thinking about it, and now I was gonna say it has to be Ellen McLean, who uh, did the voice of Glados in the Portal series. She's a, she's oh. actually a, a yeah she's a longtime friend of ours. She did a, a promo video for GamerX Two for our Kickstarter, and was like, "If you don't go here, I might have to threaten you" or something like that. Um, so it was just a really really like hilarious like video where it was like probably like one of the first times that a lot of people have seen what she looked like so it, it sort of had a lot of attention on it because of that and she was like the whole video was just to promote uh for gamer x um and they actually did an oh they did two they videos no they did one yeah they did one for gamer x for gamer con before it even became gamer x like way back for the first one and then they did another one for gamer x3 where it had her and her husband john patrick lowry who does the voice of the sniper and Team Fortress 2. That's wow. awesome. So if you like those, you should go watch watch those videos. Um, yeah, the Ellen, Ellen McLean and JPL GamerX. There should be two videos. And not only that, but at the very first GamerX, this is what GamerX actually got a lot of attention for, for the very first con, um, was we had a gay proposal at the con, which was really cool in, in and of itself. But not only that, but we, we got... 
Ellen involved. And so here comes John Patrick Lowry with his little, I don't know, what is it, like a ukulele or like so, some little guitar thing. And, and, and then here comes Ellen, and she comes out, and she sings a Still Alive version uh. that's, that's personalized for the couple. And like, and like, and like says their name, like while he's proposing to him and, and she's like tearing up while she's singing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would love to be able to actually have her voice in one of our games now because she did so many amazing things for GamerX and you can find, you can find all three of those things on YouTube. Um, yeah, really, really super adorable. That's crazy. That's amazing. Well, (laughs) Philip, we will do our part. We will spam her with with tweets and dms like please please contact philip make it happen that'd be awesome uh oh uh, we're we're in good contact don't worry oh okay oh okay, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> i we just want to help you philip <laughs> <laughs> no worries thank you <laughs> okay so um running a little bit over time so um Philip, is there anything else you'd like to mention or talk about? And this was all incredible content. Thank you so much for for uh, coming on and like telling us all these stories about Gamer X and 2064 and and pro wrestling. Uh, is there oh, anything else? I I feel like there were a million more stories that I could have told if we if we only had the time. Oh, um, well, you yeah, know what? You should probably come back. <laughs> I'd love to come back. Ah, yeah. we'll have you back. You're totally. always welcome. Um, Sweet. Um, no, I just say if if you if you're interested in any of the things that I've been talking about, you can find 2064 Read Only Memories on PS4 and Steam. You can find Gaming in Color on PS4, Steam, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Prime, Voodoo if you're old. Um, <laughs> and you can come to GamerX East Two in New York City. Later this year, stay tuned to GamerX on our Twitter or get on our mailing list or Facebook. Or and I think all- it's pretty safe have- to say the Super Nerd Pals will be there. Yeah, Yay! we will answer the we answer the call. Yay! And uh, Philip, where can people find you on social media, like on Twitter or Instagram? Yeah, I am at Pro Bear Cub on Twitter. Professional Bear Cub. Excellent. <laughs> Because that was my original job title. Because I didn't have, you know, I, like I said, I was, I sort of was like in like weird, like you know, job like cyberspace in, inside the company. I did what needed to be done. So it's like, what, what is my role? And you're like, you're, you're, the, you're, 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 you're a bear. You're a bear cub. <laughs> <laughs> and so that sort of, it was on my business card actually as well. So it was like, it was a whole thing. <laughs> Great. But now you're the the lead, the uh, creative lead. On uh, uh, mid boss, and look look at you now. That's that's amazing. Yay! Yes, cool. All right, this well, is gonna be our year. Yes, yes, definitely. We are so glad for, for all of us. And we're we're gonna. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, yeah. Year three of SNP and uh, a new a new shining era for for mid boss. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be incredible. And again, thank you for coming on and sharing your story, sharing sharing everything and. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. Thank you so much. I had a total blast. This is probably one of the most fun podcasts I've been on in several months because I don't get that Woo! many invites actually. So, yeah, I usually have to do like like interviews or like like questionnaires or just like people asking you know questions more than like a podcast. So I love I love doing these. This is fun. 
Awesome. Well, that that really means a lot to us. Yeah. Thank you. You have an open inv- invitation yeah. to come back and talk shit with us whenever you want. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll actually need to talk about some actual like uh, current wrestling storylines or something like that. Yeah, I could go on for hours. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. I I want to take a look at this Luchador thing, uh, show on Netflix. Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground. Yeah. 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 Definitely should. Yeah. Lucha I... Underground. Go watch some Prince Puma and Mil Muertes. <laughs> some Pentagon Junior. <laughs> <laughs> the the best part of Lucha Underground is Melissa Santos. I think it's her name, and she's the the ring announcer. She's so good. She just says like all of their names like super fun. She's like from the five five nine cage. <laughs> or she'll, she'll just go like King Cuerno. <laughs> she just like says she announces their names in like super fun ways. And then there's this one. So they they have like intergender wrestling. Like so like the women will like actually wrestle the men. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's one of one of the women in the show is her name is Sexy Star. And she goes, every woman is sexy. Every woman is a star. And so she's oh like our, our feminist like icon in Lucha Underground. It's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> and then there's Eva Lise as well. She's like the evil, the evil like female Lucha. So. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Eva Lise is great. They have like a whole feud and everything. Yeah, Lucha uh, Underground. Go for it. Yay! This is so good. Yes, Philip. Philip, do you like? Do you like? Wrestling anime because there's Tiger Mask W that's going I on. Love Tiger Mask w. Oh, we need to talk about that. Okay, so I think the next next time you come on, we're gonna, it's gonna be like all wrestling. We're, we're gonna... I'd rather I'd rather talk about Tiger Millionaire if we want to talk about. Tiger oh my god, Tiger Millionaire! Stuff. That's a way better Tiger wrestler. <laughs> god, I love Tiger Millionaire. I want to be Tiger Millionaire. Millionaire cosplayers at Gamer X like every year. Oh my! Goodness. I think I want to cosplay as Tiger Millionaire. Cool. Awesome. So this was so much fun. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming on, Philip. Thank you, everyone who's listening. This was episode 104 of the Super Nerd Pals podcast. You can find our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. You can also find us on supernerdpals.com. We also have a Facebook group that's very uh, active and popping. We're at 565 members if i remember correctly mm-hmm. so um if you want to be part of the community share our goofy memes and gifts and keep up with our our collected uh interest in pop culture news uh go to facebook.com slash group slash super nerd pals and join on the fun so my name is chris sampson and you can find me on twitter at kyo ninja for hire that's k-y-o ninja for hire and uh oh Anyone? Oh. Come on. Is Stan Stan, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm Stan Gadurski. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Doom. 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 I'm Andy Carasquilla. You can find me on Twitter at SweetJustice1. And if you missed it, uh, you can find Phil Jones on Twitter at ProBearCub. Yeah, and play my new Twine game called Punks. Do it. Do it. Do it. Philip told you, so it's law. Do Don't it. be a Hanzo main. <laughs> Go download Don't it. Be a- Don't be a <laughs> Wait, before we sign off, everyone, you have to say who you main. I main Roadhog and Symmetra and McCree. I I actually main Hanzo <laughs> and Zenyatta. Uh, get out. You're the problem. Uh, I'm, uh, I main Diva and Ana. And I and, and, uh, pocket uh, Farah a little bit on the side. I main uh, Farah and Zarya. Zara- and uh, Junkrat.
And Ryan, you play on PC? Oh yeah, I play no. on PC. Uh, yeah, okay, PC. we're gonna we're gonna go play Overwatch. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You oh, know so- what? This might give me a reason <laughs> to buy Overwatch for PC. Oh, me too. Uh, if we uh, can play uh, with Philip, it's in. Philip, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna message you my friend code, and we're gonna be best buds, <laughs> and then. We're gonna do it, and every everyone listening to this podcast is super jealous. So we're gonna go play Overwatch right indeed, now. Indeed, indeed, and then we're gonna guilt trip everyone else, including you, Ryan, because you don't play Overwatch <laughs> yet. Yet, that, that, that's the key word. So, um, so we. <laughs> I feel no, like I'll be terrible on PC at first, but I'll get there. Well, if you, Andy, if you're worried, to, well, I guess, do you prefer the controller setup? Because you could totally map your. Your DualShock controller to PC or to Steam. Oh, or, so I'm that sorry. I can do that and wreck. <laughs> Mostly. Okay, so yes, so next time, Philip, you're gonna be on. We're gonna be talking about wrestling. We're gonna talk about Overwatch. I'm excited. We're, oh, this is so good. <laughs> but uh, new favorite podcast. New favorite podcast. Woo! Oh, yes, yes. Um. Okay. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you. Uh, in episode 105. Peace. Thanks for listening. Peace and love.